All right, family, this is our last session, and the remnant are left. Amen? And as we're about to do our last study, I don't want you to think that it's going to be anything less than what we got earlier. We're going to really, in this last session, focus especially on our hearts. There's a reform that needs to take place in our hearts And there's a reform that needs to take place in our families that God himself supernaturally must do. And as we come together, and of course we want to look at some practical things, but as we come together in these last few moments, let's just ask God together to do something special in this session that he didn't do in any other session, but something special in this session, that our experience with him will go higher and even still higher. Is that okay? Let's go to our knees. Father in heaven, again, it is a wonderful privilege to call you our Father. It is wonderful to know that you are in complete control of everything in this world, that there is nothing that is hid from your eyes, that you know us inside and out, Father, and in this last few moments that we have together, we beg of you to do something beyond the norm, that you help us to see Jesus in such a way that our homes, our hearts, and our minds will be totally and completely turned to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to read these passages together in Revelation chapter 14, and we're looking especially at the third angel. Revelation chapter 14, and we're looking especially at the third angel in Revelation 14, and we're looking at verse number 9. And when you have it, just say amen. Amen. Revelation 14 and verse 9, the Bible says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that what? Keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So one day as I was reading this passage and I came across a quotation. And when I read quotations, I always want to understand how in the world does the prophetess come to her conclusions? And so what I did was I read this third angel, and I read the quotation. The quotation said that the third angel's message is righteousness by faith in verity. The third angel's message is righteousness by faith 
in verity. So I went back and I began to look at the verses because I was confused. I, I looked at verse number nine, and the third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, receive his mark in his forehead and his hand, I didn't see any righteousness by faith. The smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and there is no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image. I didn't see any righteousness by faith, so my mind was befuddled. I was confused. I didn't understand what she was talking about. And then I read verse 12. And verse 12 gave me a slight understanding in regards to what I think was the third angel. And it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. So I began to look at this, and I began to ask the question before I even got there, what's the wrath of God? So I went to Revelation. Go with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. And I'm looking in Revelation chapter 6. I'm wanting to understand what the wrath of God is, and I'm looking in Revelation chapter 6, and I read verse 12. In Revelation 6 and verse 12, the Bible says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and the bondmen, and the free men hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of a lamb. The question, have you ever seen an angry lamb? To me, the picture itself is a paradox. There is no such thing as I've never met an angry lamb. But this says, hide me from the wrath of a lamb. It's so bad that they want rocks to fall on their heads. Hide me from the wrath of the lamb and from him that sitteth on the throne. Verse number 17. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? The question, what is the wrath of God? Next question. Why is God so mad at those who received the mark, the name, or the number of the beast? I was confused. My mind wants to answer the questions. So then I looked back at Revelation chapter 13, and let's look at 13 for a moment. In Revelation chapter 13, and let's look at this beast that comes out of the sea, out of, out of the earth, actually. And notice what the Bible says in Revelation 13, and we're looking at verse 11. It says in Revelation 13, 11, I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a what? Like a lamb, and he spake as a what? Interesting. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. The first beast before him is the sea beast. What kind of power does the, earth, the sea beast have? Notice what it says in verse number 3. Verse number 3 of the sea beast, it says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the what? It seems to me that this sea beast has a global authority. Are you listening to me? So the second beast exercises all the power of the first beast. Let's go a little further. Go back here in verse number 11. It says, I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a what? Like a dragon. Well, how does a dragon speak? Look at verse 13 of chapter 12. Verse 13 of chapter 12, it says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast out to the earth... He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Look at verse 17. And the dragon was what? Verse 17. The dragon was what? 
He was wroth with the woman. It seems to me, it says there's the wrath of God, and then we have the wrath of the dragon. There are two drafts here, two wraths. And it says to me, the dragon gives the water beast its power, seat, and great authority. And then it says in verse number 11 of chapter 13, and he spake as a dragon. When this earth beast begins to speak like a dragon, it will persecute and prosecute the saints. Are you paying attention? Notice what the Bible says. Go look, look at verse number 12. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Begin to think. Well, how did it receive the wound in the first place? What is the wound? The world of Romans chapter 13. Go to Romans chapter 13. We're looking at the third angel's message in verity. Romans chapter 13. What is this sword? Because it had a wound by the sword and did live. Romans chapter 13, and notice what the Bible says, beginning at verse number 1. Notice what it says in Romans 13. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that, are be, that be are ordained of God. Whoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and, that, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of their power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword. How? So who bears the sword in this passage? Who bears the sword in this passage, friends? Anybody? No, not God. Look at the verse. Who bears the sword? For he is a minister of God. Who is a minister of God? The rulers of the world are ministers of God. The rulers do not bear the sword in vain. Now, to understand this more clearly, go back to Revelation chapter 13. This power receives a deadly wound. Well, how did he get the wound? Notice verse 12, whose deadly wound was healed. Notice verse 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Who does this, the earth beast or the water beast? The earth beast. The earth beast causes fire to come down in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had a wound by the sword and did what? What did it do? Everybody sleep on me already? Which had a wound by the sword and did live. So please don't laugh at my image. This is how I used to draw my muscle man when I was in school. All right. All right. So this is the image. They made an image to the beast. What did the other beasts look like, the sea beasts? I want you to see something. Go with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. Remember, 
He beareth not the sword in vain. The ministers of the earth, the rulers of this world, bear the sword. Daniel chapter 8, and look at verse 24. When you have it, say amen. It says, and his power shall be mighty, but not by what? His own power. Go with me to Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. Daniel 11, verse 31. Notice what it says there. An arm shall stand on his part. An arm shall stand on his part. So he has power, but not by his own power. Arms are going to stand for him. The military power will stand for him on his side, but he himself is not a military power. Are you following what I'm saying? Go to, go to Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse 2. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2 tells us, And the beasts which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth was as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. This image to the beast is a union of church and state. Do you see that? The first power function by allowing the civil power to be right underneath it, and it controlled the civil power. The United States is this earth beast, and this earth beast says, let's make an image to the sea beast. Let's make a union of church and state, and let's do this by miracles. Notice what it says there. Verse 14 says, And deceive them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beasts, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beasts which had a wound by the sword and did live. I want you to lock this in your mind. The union of church and state is the image to the beast. It is not the mark of the beast. It's a difference. The mark of the beast and the image of the beast are completely different. There's a reason why I'm saying this. I'm going to put on this side um, the dragon, the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, which is also known as the false prophet. All right. And then I'm going to say image to the beast. Everybody follow that? So I have the dragon, the beast from the sea, the beast of the earth, which is also called the false prophet, and I have the image to the beast. Let's go a little further. Go back to Revelation 13. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 14, and he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beasts. What does he do to get the people to be deceived? What does he do? What does he do? Miracles. I want you to hold your hand right there in Revelation. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Notice what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Watch carefully. It says in Deuteronomy 13, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a what? So there's a prophet rise up among you. He does a sign or a wonder. What's the purpose of a sign or a wonder? It's in order to gain the confidence of the people. Are you listening to me? 
is in order to gain the confidence. If I can work a miracle before you start saying, hmm, maybe Andre is pretty, you know, powerful. Maybe I'll follow him. If there's a prophet that does it, does it say they fake it? It says it actually is done. Is that right? Notice. And the sign or wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us, what? So they're going to do a sign and wonder. It really does happen. The miracles really do take place. They're seeking to gain your trust. And then they say, hey, why don't we go and serve other gods? Let's go make an image. Wait, watch. Thou shalt not hearken to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God. What does he do? What's, the word, what's another word for prove? Test. The Lord your God tests you or he tries you. Some people have a problem with saying the National Sunday Law is the test for the people of God. I don't know why we have a problem with that. The Sunday Law is the test. The image to the beast, the union of church and state, is the test for the people of God. And there will be miracles that precede the building of the image. And when the miracles take place, you are going to be brought to the test. Because you're going to say, man, I've been going to a powerless church with a bunch of powerless people. And then I see this wonder-working magician, this satanic entity, working all these miracles. It seems like all the world is coming together. Hmm, maybe I should follow after this power. Do you know when Satan shows up, friends, he's going to be beautiful. He's going to walk around. It's going to be music. Just him walking is music. After 6,000 years of sin, he still looks beautiful. And he's going to walk amongst and up and down these streets, and he's going to have Moses and all these other false prophets walking up and down the streets. They're called heathen deities. Typing into Ellen White. She calls them heathen deities parading in the world. She says they will walk and all the nations of the world are going to be deceived and follow after these miracle working powers. None but those who have fortified their mind with the truths of the Bible. None but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will be able to stand through the last great conflict. None means none. We're going to be tested. This image of the beast is set up, and the question is, will you follow? God is going to test us. He's going to prove us. And once he proves us, then he's going to give us the latter rain without measure. But he's not going to, listen, if I had a million dollars, I'm not going to give you a million dollars up top. I'm going to give you $10 to figure out if you know how to use that 10 Are you listening to me? Once I know that I can trust you with $10, then I'll maybe give you 100 Once I know you can be trusted with 100 I'll give you 1000 But I'm not going to give you a million off top. I must test and see whether you are faithful with that which I put in your hands. Are you listening to me? Okay, let's go a little further. Back to Revelation chapter 13. I asked the question, the third angel's message in Verity, how? What is the wrath of God? Why is God so angry? So I looked at this, I put this parallel up here for you, and I want you to see something. Here, the dragon wants to take the place of God. The beast wants to take the place of Jesus. The earth beast wants to take the place of the Holy Spirit. 
And this image to the beast is replacing the image to the sun. Did you hear what I said? The dragon wants to take the place of God. The beast from the sea wants to take the place of Jesus, the intercessory work. The beast from the earth, the false prophet, wants to take the place of the Holy Spirit. And this image to the beast wants to take the place, the image to the sun. God is waiting. Christ's object lessons, page 69, paragraph 1. Christ is patiently waiting for the reduplication of his character and his saints. He is waiting with longing and expectation for the church to reflect his character. That's what he's waiting for. I wish, I wish it was just another tsunami he's waiting for. It's not. Another earthquake? Nope. Another GYC? Nope. He's waiting for the church to look more and more like him. To be as kind as he is kind, loving as he is loving, patient as he is patient, temperate as he is temperate. He's looking for people that reflect him in every way, and it's not natural for us. Is that right? There's one way only that we can actually be like this. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26. Remember now, the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 26, and we're looking at verse 36. Matthew 26, and we're beginning at verse 36. And when you have it, say amen. The Bible says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Jesus is dying. Do you see him die? What is he dying for? What is he dying for? He's dying for our sins. I want you to be very specific about the sin. You know, we say sin very glibly, very broadly. We're talking for sin, general. No, he's dying for your sin. What's that sin you did this week? Think about it. Was it worth it? This week, I'm not talking about five weeks ago, ten years ago. I'm talking about this week. Was that little piece of whatever you did, was that worth it? Because that little thing, that one thing this week, I'm not talking about all the sins of your whole life, that one sin this week put Jesus on the cross. That one sin this week, there in Gethsemane, Jesus is dying for that one sin. One. One sin. Was it worth it? Did it make you feel good? Did you feel, I don't know. Was it worth it? Jesus is dying. They're in Calvary. They're, they're in Gethsemane. He's sorrowful, exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. No one has laid a hand on him. No one has hit him. No one has punched him. No one has put a, 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 a spear in his side. He's dying right here. Then he says, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as what? As thou wilt. Let this cup pass from me? What cup is he drinking from? What cup is Jesus drinking from here? Verse 40 says, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could you not watch of me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time. 
and prayed, saying, Oh, my father. Same prayer. He repeated the same prayer. Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Who's responsible for the cup? We asked earlier this morning, who's responsible for the cup? Who has this cup? The father. The father's giving it to who? Isaiah 53. There's a cup. What's in this cup? I wonder what he's drinking in this cup. Isaiah 53. Start at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as the sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened out his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He had his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased, this is a strange sentence, read it with me. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's a strange sentence. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? He hath put him to grief. Who has put him to grief? Who put him to grief? The Lord. When he hath made him his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to bruise him? I, I tell you the truth, right now, if God gave me a choice between uh, saving my daughter or saving you as a whole congregation, I'm not sure. I think I'm choosing her. Naturally and myself, do you understand what I'm saying? Between my daughter and you. But it says God, it would please God to bruise his child to save you. It pleased God to put him to open shame to save you. It pleased him. This is God's posture towards fallen humanity. It doesn't make any sense. What kind of love is this? That he will take his son and kill his son and place the the sins of the world upon his son and put the hatred of sin. Jesus became sin for us. So God's wrath is now poured upon his son. Strange, strange sentence, strange ideas. This is so out of the norm that God would do this for a bunch of people who care nothing for his son. Verse 11 says, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. I think about it. I I meditate on it. He bore my iniquities? You mean when I was in the world, when I chasing women, you chasing men, 
You mean when you used to lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, he bore that sin? With your name on it, it's identifying. When you were there watching pornography, he's there watching that. He's like right there with you. He bears that in his body. When you were committing fornication, when you were gossiping, lying, cheating, committing, all these things, he's there with your name on it. We like to make it general. He died for sin. It makes it so nice, so glib. He died for your sin with your name on it. While you're in your mess, he's right there with you. You say, why would you die? I've already taken care of this. But the father's wrath is upon his son. His son is dying, and the father is the one putting the son to death. Do you realize that when they took Jesus off the cross, he was already dead? He didn't die from hanging there. He didn't die from the whip on his back. He died because the sins of the world crushed his soul and separated him from his father. He's dying what we call the second death. Listen to what I'm saying to you. He's dying the second death. Do you understand? When you go back to Revelation chapter 14, go back to Revelation 14. Revelation 14, look at this. Look at again the the, the third angel. Look at Revelation 14. In Revelation 14, it says very clearly, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Why? Because this, the mark, the mark is a sign of a covenant. Listen. Remember when uh, Cain killed his brother? You guys remember that? And God set a mark on Cain. What did the mark do? The mark protected Cain from being killed by anyone else. Are you listening to me? So the mark of the beast is a promise from the beast power saying, I will protect you if you do what I say. You will be able to buy and sell if you receive the mark. Go to to Isaiah. Watch this. Keep your finger in Revelation 14, but coming back, look at Isaiah, chapter 28. The mark is a sign of a covenant. It's a covenant, a league that people have made with this beast power. Yea, they have made it with Satan. And notice what the Bible says about this covenant in Isaiah, chapter 28, and starting at verse number 15. It says, because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death. What have they made a covenant with? With death. Well, they think this covenant will protect them, but it's actually a covenant made with death. Because ye have made a covenant with death and with hell, are we all all agreement? When the overflowing scourge, that's the flood, shall pass through, it shall not come upon us. That's what it said. For we have made lies our, what? Refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. The mark of the beast is a covenant that they've made with this power and saying that this power will protect them. But in reality, God says, if you receive this mark, there is no protection. Back to Revelation 14. Look carefully now. Why is there no protection? 
Why is there no protection? In Revelation chapter 14, again it says, He received the mark in his forehead and saying, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Do you see Jesus is already on Calvary in Gethsemane? He's already taken the wine of the wrath of God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? In Gethsemane, he's already drinking from the cup. He's already drinking of the second death right here. This is already being taken care of. If you receive the mark of the beast, you have rejected salvation anyway. You've made a covenant with death. Jesus says, I've made a covenant with you. Remember the Revelation 10 angel came down with the covenant, the covenant bought with blood. And he gives this covenant to mankind. Man is to eat the covenant, let that covenant assimilate into his body. He is a part, supposed to be a part of this gospel message. The three angels are heralded and preaching, don't take the mark of the beast. It's a covenant with death. What is the wrath of God? Look at Revelation 15 verse 1. You see it there, Revelation 15, verse 1. It says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels, having the seven last plagues in them is filled up what? The wrath of God is the seven last plagues. Jesus on Calvary, as he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's not dying any old natural death. He is receiving the wrath of God. He is receiving the seven last plagues in his body. Eternal separation from God. That's why that third angel was so important, because that third angel says, look, if you really believe the gospel, put your whole weight on the lamb. Stop playing with the gospel. The third angel is righteousness by faith in verity. It's in truth. It's in realness. It's the reality of the covenant demonstrated in the lives of a people when all the world has turned itself against God. Notice Revelation 16 and verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out your vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Remember, Jesus has a cup in his hand. You ever had to drink something nasty? Jesus has the cup. Father, is there any other way that I can get past this? Is there any other way? Do I have to drink this? Jesus says, drink it, boy. Is there any other way? No, there's no other way. Drink the cup. And in that moment, I just, my mind runs to the garden and I see Jesus there making an eternal decision. He sees my face. I don't know what, if he, I mean, I hope he saw your face too, but I just, I make it personal. He sees my face. He sees all my sins. And he says, I love that boy. I'm going to drink the cup. I love that young lady. I love that man. I'm going to drink the cup. He drinks. He's dying. Right there on Calvary. He makes the decision forever. 
I owe him everything. Hebrews chapter 12. Notice what the Bible says there. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're looking at verse number 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now let me ask, the cross, did it say that he enjoyed the cross? Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. It says for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's what it says. Then it says, then it says, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Consider him. What do you mean, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself? It's like this. If I come and I'm going to die for you, but everyone I come to die for, all of them say, we don't want it. All of them don't appreciate it. Right there in front. They don't understand it. Even the closest disciples don't get it. Consider him. Somebody gets dis- d- d- tired doing ministry. They get weary trying to do the right thing because nobody seems to understand. Consider Jesus. Consider him. When he came into the world, the, his own, his own didn't even know him. Consider you and Jesus. Right now, just think about it. Just think about it. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of loss. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. That cross is not a beautiful cross with the natural eye. When I cling to that cross, I look at everything that's about to happen in the world. And I say, Father, it's not in me. I think 
you go preach and preach, and some people look at you weird and stare at you. You think maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. Jesus has done everything for me, and I will do anything he tells me to do. That's what I want you to get to. That if he says right now, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you would say, Father, I don't have it in me, but if you want me to do it, please put it in my heart to do it. That's what we want to be. That's why Jerome and Huss, Jerome is thrown in prison for over, three, over a year. And when he's taken out of prison, they're going to light him on fire. And they begin to light him on fire from the back. And he says, don't, don't light me up from the back. Light me up from the front. What? Where did I come from? What type of boldness is that? What type of courage is that to know that, hey, don't light me up from the back. Light me up from the front. I want that old school religion. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was reading something very interesting in the Great Controversy. We're about to stop here. I read something interesting in the Great Controversy about the Jesuits. And she makes reference to them. And I thought it was interesting just how she referenced it. Do you see that during the Dark Ages, people were so on fire for the Lord that they would go through any circumstance, in any situation, for the sake of the gospel. So Satan has to counteract this dedication. So he forms the Jesuits in order to equal the power of the true converted Christian. I thought that was amazing. I thought it was amazing because I said to myself, Satan has such respect for the true Christian that he had to create a super, super powerful military force to counteract the power of the gospel. Where's that power today? Where's the power of the gospel today? Where the cross, the banner of Jesus is our watchword. Well, that cross motivates us and moves us despite what the world is doing. The third angel's message in verity. Everything on the altar. My dress on the altar. My food on the altar. My, 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 my finances on the altar. My heart on the altar. Everything's for Jesus. Everything's for Jesus. This is our last session today. I may not see you all tomorrow. My appeal is very simple. I want Jesus right now to fulfill his word to me and his word to you. That he is more willing to give his spirit to his children when they gather together in one place and pray. We're his children. We're part of his family. I want him to do something right now special. I want us as a family to come and press as close together as possible. And I want us to pray for the outpouring of his spirit right here, right now. Press forward. We want the outpouring of God's spirit. 
And we won't move until we know we have it. We need to be broken, friends. He's not a respecter of persons. He's not just going to do it for the book of Acts. He's going to do it for his people in these last days as we cry out to him for deliverance and for strength. So we're going to pray. Enough with the preaching. Let's ask for some real power. The days ahead of us are evil. The enemy hates everything that happened today. And he wants to snatch it from our hearts. So I'm going to pray first. Then whoever is moved to pray. And your prayers shouldn't be extensively long. It should be to the point. There's so many people. If you want to pray twice, that's fine, but not extensively long. And we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to work a miracle in our hearts that we leave here converted. We leave here Christians. That the world will know that there is power in the name of Jesus. So I will pray first. And whoever would like to pray thereafter, then I will close. Dear Father in heaven, We know the prophecies. This is not our problem in this group. Father, we know that we should be eating better. That's not the problem in this group, Father. Father, our problem is that we've been comfortable being lukewarm. We've been active, we've done ministry. Some haven't done any ministry, but we've, we, we like being around church activities. So that's not our problem in this place right now. Father, we want, we want Jesus. We ask that you draw close to us. Give us more of your presence. Give us a hatred for sin. Save our families. Amen.